this episode of Public Power Now. I'm Paul Schimpoli, News Director at APPA. Today's episode features a re-airing of a recent episode from Public Power Conversations with APPA's President and CEO, Joy Ditto. In this episode, Joy speaks with Christy Tezak of Clearview Energy Partners, LLC, to discuss energy trends that could shape 2022. So with that, let's hear from Joy and Christy. President and CEO of the American Public Power Association, and I'd like to welcome you to this episode of Public Power Conversations. Well, 2022 is here, which is crazy. Um, And getting us into this year, we thought it would be interesting and fun to use the first episode of the year to kind of look into our crystal ball to the energy trends that will shape the year. And here to prognosticate on those trends is Christy Tezak, who is Managing Director of Clearview Energy Partners, a research and analysis group that specializes in macro energy trends. Christy has more than two decades of experience in the electric utility and natural gas pipeline sectors. She specializes in electricity markets, interstate pipelines, energy infrastructure, and U.S. environmental policy. And she happens to be a friend, and I just love seeing her here. And thank you again for joining us, Christy. Um, welcome. It's great to be here, Joy. It's always it's always awesome to have the opportunity to sit down with the folks of APPA. Um, we've got, had a great relationship so far, and I look forward to that continuing. Awesome. All right, well, I have some questions to guide the conversation, but we're free to wander off wherever the conversation takes us. So if there's something that I'm not asking about and you just want to talk about, feel free to just jump in with that. So we're going to get to it. Um, so what what do you see as the energy trends that will shape legislative and regulatory agendas in 2022? Well, at Clearview, um, we see the Biden administration relying on four different tools uh, to you know, manifest their whole of government approach to decarbonization in the energy sector. And these are standards, um, incentives, government superpowers, and indirect financialization. So when it comes to legislation, the objectives remain focused there on incentives with the substantial spending that's still being eyed in the Build Back Better Act. How much of that gets done remains to be seen, but that bill, of course, isn't solely about energy. There's a lot of issues related to social spending and other social priorities, um, which is contributing to the challenging effort of moving you know, a significant spending package. On the regulatory front, we see standards and government superpowers at work. So there we're following the reinstatement of the methane rules upstream in the production areas, as well as corporate average fuel economy standards and greenhouse gas limits for vehicles. Um, examples of flexing government superpowers or things that we are following, such as, you know, for FERC with the joint task, um, task force on transmission policy and, um, you know, so using the federal government's ability to pull people together and, and try and shape policy that way, as well as the reorientation of federal lands use from conventional energy resources to renewable and clean energy resources. Um, you also have shifts in export finance policy and, you know, certainly away from coal assets and um, <clears throat> federal procurement, uh, you know, certainly in both spending bills, um, the bipartisan infrastructure framework and uh, the Build Back Better Act. And then when we talk about indirect financialization, we're talking about quantifying climate risk and disclosing that. And that's something that's important for, you know, organizations that access the financial markets, not just investor-owned utilities, but of course, on the debt side, the public power community. So 
there's an effort afoot to increase the cost of capital for higher emitting industries and lower it for lower emitting industries. And this also folds into, you know, certainly the uh, ESG trends we're seeing today. That's a great overview. And you did mention in there kind of the the bipartisan infrastructure bill that, of course, has now been signed into law, um, which our members supported um, wholeheartedly and uh, and are very excited about kind of getting some of those those funds flowing. And and certainly some of the monies in there will go toward addressing climate, but also some other important related items like kind of digitization and the, the ancillary issue of cybersecurity. So appreciate you mentioning that as well. Um, so, um, you know, what, in terms of kind of that infrastructure piece, what what projects do you see getting fast-tracked this year? Um, will, what will take a little longer, but what will maybe be prioritized in 2022? Well, um, certainly this week we learned that Mountain Valley Pipeline is going to take a bit longer um, with the vacator of its permit to cross the Jefferson National Forest. And Joy, I don't think we're out of consensus here in having the expectation that conventional energy projects are highly likely to take longer um, than renewable clean energy ones under you know under the Biden administration. And to put a finer point on it, um, you know we think that Mountain Valley may. We've actually thought for a long time that Mountain Valley may be the last significant greenfield natural gas pipeline um, that we're going to see for a long time, assuming it does go into service next year. Um, we could see some incremental additions to the natural gas system, but you know, compression, looping, laterals on existing system. But even these are going to be very, very difficult with the Environmental Protection Agency telling the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission that it should rely on a social cost of carbon assessment. And that number is expected to go up this year, uh, maybe by as much as two and a half times from $52 a metric ton, not to mention the steadfast opposition of the environmental community to any potential growth in natural gas utilization. And as we were talking about, there was a significant emphasis on transmission in the BIF um, enacted last year and potentially even more financial support for both policymakers and um, individual projects in the Build Back Better Act. But... I hate to be cynical or a pessimist, but even if we see the rate of transmission increase, I think it's gonna wind up being at a slower rate than a lot of policymakers hope. Um, Linear infrastructure is hard. Um, Even if we assume consensus that it will help lower power sector greenhouse gases, Congress hasn't solved yet, you know, some of the real thorny issues we have of transmission siting. You know, Wisconsin is still looking at passing a law to limit infrastructure bill to incumbent utilities. Commissioner Allison Clements at our RFF event, you know, recently said that, you know, FERC's not looking to sort of ram its newfound authority such as it is down, you know, states' throats. So that tension is going to remain. And, you know, in addition, we haven't even, you know, Congress didn't touch on that real thorny issue of cost allocation. And there's four cases at the D.C. Circuit this, you know, just like in the next three weeks, um, talking about cost allocation, you know, well, three of one has been argued, but there's three more between 100 and 300 uh, KV projects and how those should be treated on a regional basis. And that's even before we jump into the ambitions of the advance notice of proposed rulemaking at FERC on, you know, regional planning and cost allocation. So, you know, this doesn't suggest an acceleration of projects as much as perhaps billable consultant hours, I think. Um, But I do think, you know, we're gonna continue to see that transmission may be a little easier than pipeline infrastructure, but it's gonna be a challenge. And, and it just will. Those are all great points. And, and certainly those are, those things are um, 
the issues you raised in terms of cost allocation, siting, obviously planning are near and dear to our members' hearts. And we've seen those challenges play out um, over the last you know 20 plus years. And I uh, appreciate your perspective that the challenges themselves haven't gotten all that much easier um, and, and congressional action may be needed for some clarity around that, um, which which they are loath to do, of course, and that has its own risks. Um, but but that is a uh, very, very helpful. And I know for our members to hear as well from your perspective. Uh, so our, our next one is kind of shifting back to more purely environmental policy. How do you think lawmakers will, will balance affordability with climate action either this year, kind of in 2022 and then beyond? Well, I think this is going to continue to be a struggle. Prices are going up. Um, from where they were in 2019. Post-pandemic supply chain squeezes and inflation, this is something we're all becoming increasingly familiar with, whether it's the groceries we buy or you know where power prices have gone because of what's going on globally with natural gas. Um, increasing regulation of conventional resources raises their cost and relying on them less frequently um, is gonna wind up increasing their per unit costs. And so there's gonna be this tension of what is it really costing us to keep the lights on? And whenever there's a reliability event, um, there's finger pointing and there's villainizing. And that's because, you know, every constituency is trying to cast its, you know, what it contributes in the best light. And that's going to continue to be, I, I think, a challenge. And there's going to be constant tensions on, on winners and losers because, you know, energy is geographic as much as it is political. And so different parts of the country are going to be competing, you know, to provide, you know, resources and balancing that is going to, you know, continue to be difficult. And the press for, you know, continued tax incentives and and how to pay for those and, and what kind of costs we're putting on the next generations is going to be a real struggle, even though the objective, you know, may be very high minded in terms of really making improvements in the environment. So those are all great points. And uh, as you know, we have long supported sort of that comparable incentive for public power. We tried a few times and and hasn't really been workable for you know various reasons. Uh, we're hopeful that we can see some energy tax component with the comparable incentives in. Um, and you know, we have a lot of kind of innovative projects we're working on either with the federal government in the in the form of small modular reactors, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we think we would really be able to unleash our portion of the sector to own some of these cleaner facilities outright. Um, again, we do in certain pockets, but uh, it's not as prevalent because of the, the tax credits that have been given to the private sector thus far. Um, so we'll just see. But you're right. I mean, those are costly sometimes. And and um, there is that it's there's always going to be this tension on the tax policy side, especially about how you pay for it. So that's a great point. We need to continue to remember as we push our, our own perspective on on energy tax this year. So thank you for that. So is there anything else that you haven't mentioned already that you just want to kind of hit on before we close? Well, um, I could keep you here all day. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that I think that is really going to be a big issue over the next year is, is going to be environmental justice policy and how that's going to play out. Um, that's hard. Uh, there's no real metrics yet. Um, Council on Environmental Quality has been struggling to, um, you know, they, they're not likely to meet their deadline to get out a clear EJ policy um, and their tools and frameworks to help policymakers figure out how to adjust and how to assess environmental justice issues. Um, we also have a real challenge in the fact that our existing policy default is to go along existing right away. 
And a lot of existing right-of-way, of course, is co-located with environmental justice communities. So, you know, some were there first. Some grew up along that infrastructure after it was built. But that default is being questioned now. And it's not just for gas compressors in Weymouth, Massachusetts, or gas compressors generally, and whether they should be electric engines or whether they should be gas engines. Um, but you're seeing opposition to substations in Boston, even though the intention of upgrading the grid in that area is to facilitate that community's access to renewable energy. And so this isn't going to get easier. Um, and I think that we're going to find that um, working through the effort of laying out environmental justice policy could help could actually be one more thing that slows down um, the efforts to move forward with cleaner infrastructure. That's also a, a great point, Christy. And and to your point on metrics, we have been talking to our members about what they're doing in their communities and and have, trying to create some clear definitions. There are some definitions at the federal government level that are relatively broad, um, but that is something that we are also, you know, having that dialogue with our members about. We'll, we'll bring we'll bring those back to the federal government. When we have more uh, insights. Uh, and certainly various communities are going to handle it slightly differently, which is sort of the rub. When you're trying to develop federal metrics or policies, you've got a lot of customization at the federal level. Um, but it's another reason why, to your point earlier, that some of these siting opportunities can continue to be even maybe more thorny than, than traditionally have been. Uh, so with those bright and cheery words, uh, we, we really appreciate, though, I mean, we are in a complex industry. We are. We have many challenges. Um, we will continue to have those challenges in 2022. On the bright side, we have some additional funding opportunities that um, just came down the pike, and we will uh, we will certainly fight for our members to achieve those, and then continue to fight for those comparable incentives. But thank you for your insights, uh, given your long um, history and your an incredibly respected. Um, analyst and prognosticator in this field. And I appreciate um, you being with me today and look forward to talking to you soon. 